Hello and welcome to Sobriety After Dark. I am your host, Jackie Laidlaw, and this is an afternoon edition, a nap time edition of your favorite show. <laughs> so today I'm going to tell my sober story. Um, it is, I'm, I'm going to give you the shortest version possible. It's kind of gruesome. Um, and I hope it doesn't sound like I'm talking um, smack about my husband at all. I'm just simply trying to get the um, the word out on getting sober as a functioning alcoholic and as somebody that had a, um, a busy career and um, a loving relationship, minus the fact that we couldn't get sober. <laughs> um, I, I was successful in a, in a couple ways, but I couldn't quite get past myself. Um, and past some wounds is really what it was. It was I had some childhood wounds that I didn't even know existed. I didn't even know how to begin looking for them, and I didn't. I I just didn't know because it was all suppressed and it was all so, uh, shoved so far deep down that I didn't just didn't know it existed. So um, my husband got a DUI on. So okay, we got married let's go all the way back. Let's give a little brief story on how he and I met. Um, I had been dating a guy for about two and a half years. We had moved to Colorado. I was living in Destin and then I moved to Colorado for six months to get away from a toxic work environment that I didn't know how to really quit. I wasn't really well versed in how to quit a job. I was just told that you can't quit without having another one. Um, and you have to give two weeks and you have to be respectful. And I did all that. Um, but I didn't know how to stand up for myself. I was never, ever taught how to stand up for myself. So it's literally like learning a foreign language is how it feels to learn to stand up for myself. And I, you know, truly believe that's why I have thyroid issues. I think it goes very far back in our generations, um, generational trauma, this, that, and the other. Um, but physically not being able to speak up for myself has, has affected my thyroid health. Um, and that's a whole nother podcast, um, to talk about that journey. But so sobriety journey that happened, uh, about five years ago. Uh, my husband and I met about almost 10 years ago. It'll be 10 years in September. I don't know what year we're in now. We have two kids and they've eaten my brain. Um, <laughs> so we met at a bar one night and I overheard someone say Brentwood, which is where I'm from. Um, and I, you know, jerked back and said, oh my God, who's from Brentwood? I'm from Brentwood. And I sat down and talked to him and we, you know, figured out that we both went to Brentwood High School and he graduated in 2002. Um, and I said, oh my God, my sister did do. And he said, what's your sister's name? Um, and I told him my sister's name and he said, oh my God, you're little Rosario. And that was a name I never would live down. Yep. I am little Rosario. I am the baby of the family. I will never, ever, ever shake that title. It is not my favorite title. Um, it comes with a lot of baggage for me. Um, and that's okay. Everybody's got their shit and that's some of my shit. Um, so I gave him a business card. He needed a haircut. I wasn't looking for anybody else. I, I loved the person that I was with, um, but I did not feel loved in return. And that is just unfortunate. Um, and you know, he's now married and happily and all of that jazz and I'm happily married and everything always works out the way it's supposed to. Um, but I went home with my boyfriend at the time and we, a week later ended up, um, getting in multiple fights in which we never fought. It was a very silent relationship. Um, and I just didn't feel seen or heard or loved or appreciated for anything that I had done. Um, and it just, you know, it was, it was the end. And one night I was all dressed up 
trying to get his attention and I got my now husband's attention instead. Um, I did not go home that night. I did not sleep with my now husband. I would like to make that very clear. Um, but I, I wanted to make a stand. I was done. I didn't, I did not feel safe in my home anymore and I didn't want to go home. Um, and I met somebody that his goal in life is to make me feel safe. From the day I met him, his goal in life, even though he didn't feel safe in his own body, his goal in life was to make me feel safe. So it was basically like two codependent love addict bombs went off and we like stared endlessly into each other's eyes for two years. It was so beautiful and so romantic and I'm so grateful for God putting him in my life. Um, but then we went on a really dark journey for a couple years and, um, things turned south. He had quit right when we first started dating. Um, his like dream of being a fire blowing bartender kind of went kaput when you want to have like, you know, marriage and babies and all that shit. So, um, he was not happy where he was and didn't know what he wanted to do, but he quit his job on a whim, um, which was a wonderful job. But it had reached its um, pinnacle, and that's okay. And there's, you know, a season for everything. Um, But he then bounced around from job to job to job, never really figuring out what the hell he wanted. Um, Hindsight being 2020, we now know that he was an entrepreneur not living his authentic life. And working for somebody when you're an entrepreneur feels like slavery. It It just does. That's how it feels. Um, so I know firsthand and I see it from him too. He has recently stepped out on his own and it every day is a day towards freedom and it's incredible. Um, we'll get to all that later. So, um, he and I met, we fell in love two years later. It's getting super dark, um, drinking all the time, but not like the fun kind of drinking, just like the stay at home, get home from work. Like, you know, that, that toxic cycle of um, stay up too late drinking because you can't sleep and then you finally fall asleep, you wake up, feel exhausted, go to work all day long, come home, you know, start making dinner, have a glass of wine, which turns into a bottle and then you fall asleep by 11 p.m. and, you know, the whole thing starts all over. And it was just a vicious cycle. And every day that I got home from work, he was already asleep and he'd be waking up at midnight when I was just falling asleep. And it was like, Two ships passing in the night, which is what he used to say about him and his ex, who he used to say wonderful things about, but just that they weren't meant to be. Um, and we just, you know, fell in love, the two of us, and had some wounds that we needed to heal that we were just kind of, you know, shoving down because we, A, we weren't taught how to heal, and B, our parents still don't know how to heal. So we're trying to figure this shit out for our children so we don't keep repeating the same um, shit. So, um, We got sober on January 5th. Well, I got sober on January 6th. I drank heavily on January 5th. Um, I had gone to Zumba that morning, gone to Publix, and stocked up on healthy groceries for the week and was all about living healthy. It was five days after our last, um, after my last drink. I had drank on New Year's Eve, um, and I was the kind of person that would drink heavily one night live through the hangover and then not want to drink again for another week, you know, amnesia and then get drunk on the weekends. We had been the kind of people that drank every night and we were trying to break those habits because it was obviously not good for either of our health. Um, Chris's liver failed. My thyroid failed, which I now know had been failing since I was in third grade. Um, and it was just all around toxic and we just needed to stop. 
Um, but I, like I said, I was functioning. I had a great job. Um, we were barely surviving because I was really the only steady income because he kept switching jobs. And every time he changed jobs, it, it really just, every time we don't get paid, it's, it's a step backwards. And we were just constantly taking step backwards, steps backwards. Um, and it was exhausting. It was fucking exhausting to say the very least. So I had gone to Zumba that morning. I was always a very active human. I just also was a very party like human. Um, so I was trying to balance the two and I, um, hear a crash in my driveway and I, I walk outside and my husband is, um, we had been married for six months at this point and my husband was draped over the steering wheel and I had no, and the front end of his truck was, um, his work truck was smashed in. So I, um, ran up to the truck door and I opened up to see if, if he was alive and he was not only alive, but he was wasted. Um, and I was pissed. I've never been so pissed. I will never be pissed like that again. I hope to God I will never be pissed like that again. Um, and I just remember chucking mini bottles of wine at him because that's what fell out onto the floor at my feet. And, um, I just started throwing them at him because I was so angry, um, that he's once again, fucking up and it was just he was his own worst enemy he was always ruining his own life which would then bring me down and um it was just a vicious cycle he was having panic attacks weekly um it was awful i'm not gonna lie it was it was some of the darkest times um he always kept his abuse to himself he was pretty good at not or maybe I just got so used to men treating me like shit. I don't really, <laughs> that sounds terrible. Um, I'm so glad that we made it out alive and that we made it out together because he is the first person on this planet that has ever loved me the way I feel loved. Um, even in, in our darkest times, I still feel loved by him. So that's, that's the main goal, right? To be seen and heard. And he's always made me feel seen and heard and loved. Um, so we made it through, um, that day he got taken to jail. Um, and I had absolutely zero intention of bailing his ass out. Um, I was going to see his ass in court. That's, that's where I was on that day. Um, I drank very heavily that day, knowing that it was my last day drinking. If we were going to stay married, if he did not want to quit, if he was not into this whole sobriety life, then he was going to be a, a divorce and, you know, that journey was going to have to take place. I was prepared to make that decision. I was prepared to walk away. Um, and that sounds terrible, but I was done. I don't, I didn't want to drown with him anymore. Um, it was, like I said, it was exhausting. I was sick and tired of feeling sick and tired. So, um, his daddy went and got him, who is also an alcoholic and he went and picked him up the next day and I was pissed. And apparently Chris was puking on the way home on the side of the road. Um, like I said, his liver could not handle his drinking. Um, it just, yeah, it was, it was the end of the road for us. Um, he went to one, we didn't talk for three days and I'm a talker, hence the podcast. Um, so for me not to talk to a human that lives in my house for three days is a ridiculous self-control B obviously how pissed I was and see just, you know, I didn't need to, I didn't need to say my boundary. It was the silence was probably the best thing for him. Um, because I, you know, 80% of communication is nonverbal. I didn't need to say anything. He knew exactly how I felt. I actually didn't utter the words until we went to couples therapy four years later. 
And I felt safe in a therapist's presence to tell him if he didn't quit drinking, I would have walked away. Um, those are really, really hard words to say. And if if you can't find yourself saying them, I understand that. Maybe um, get a therapist way faster than I did. The, our first um, experience with therapy was horrible. It was this older man, no offense, dude, um, who had no... Um, we had no connection with him. We had nothing in common. He just seemed like he was judging everything we said. And, um, it did not, did, it didn't feel safe and social. Every, everything I base life off of is whether or not I feel safe and social, um, or my loved ones feel safe and social. Cause those are my top priorities. Me first, then them, you know, your whole oxygen mask scenario. You got to take care of yourself first. This is the whole, this is my mission in life is to heal codependency with myself. And then if I can spread that shit, I will, um, so if you could find a therapist way faster than we did, I suggest that, um, we found a Christian based therapist in Destin, um, who is young and has a baby and married and her husband's an entrepreneur and, um, we're into all the same stuff. And it just, you know, it was like a love bomb exploded with our therapist and it was amazing. And Chris and her bonded over fucking game of Thrones and she validated all of my frustrations with my husband. Um, and it's basically like one of the best things that's ever happened to us. Um, so cut back to the day that he got a DUI, um, the next day, you know, the next three days I didn't speak to him. Um, and then he finally broke the silence and, um, asked for forgiveness and we set in motion all of our energy to be completely pivoted. I remember reading once in a book, I've always wanted to write a book and I'm in the process of writing a book and I cannot wait to release it. Um, but I remember reading the book that she turned on her heel and walked away. And ever since then, I've always had this envision of every time I turn on my heel, I'm like, yeah, you literally like turn on your heel and you go the other direction. Um, in dance, we call it a pivot turn when you like stop your forward motion and you turn the other direction. Um, that's exactly what we did with all of our energy. And we didn't know what we were doing. We had no idea, which is exactly why I'm writing my um, online course, Sobriety After Dark. Um because I wish I had a roadmap. I wish I could Google something for answers. I wish we had the technology that we had back then. I mean, five years in the tech world is a long time. Um, there's so many things that I wish I had five years ago, and I'm trying my hardest. My goal in life is to provide all the information that I wish I needed back then, to be the person that I needed when I was younger, basically. Um, so uh, we basically took our energy and pivoted, pivot-turned, the other direction completely. Um, we started going to the gym every day. Um, he lost his license. You know, there were re repercussions because this was not his first DUI. This was his second DUI. Um, his first one was when he was like 21 years old in California or something. Um, doesn't excuse anything. A DUI is a DUI. Um, so he lost his license and I had to drive him to work every single day, um, which I was livid about. And then on the weekends, he had to go to jail for five weekends um, for 10 days in a row. So for five weekends in a row, I had to drive to Defuniac and back each weekend. Um, and it was it was good. Honestly, there are some systems that are there for a reason. He had um, a breathalyzer in his car. That one I would argue with is a little um, unsafe and obnoxious, but I'm also super grateful that he had it in his car for two years because he needed it in his car for two years to remind him of that day. Um, in the same breath, 
Sobriety After Dark is the name of all of this shit, but I'm here to tell you, I don't focus on the fact that I'm sober ever. I actually fucking forget that I'm sober half the time because I don't give it any energy. I give alcohol zero energy. Um, It's poison. I want nothing to do with it. It's not part of my life. I don't judge anybody that drinks it, but it's just not part of my life and I don't think about it. I don't think about old, old war stories. I mean, it's fun to tell old stories, I guess, but we don't really reminisce because if you reminisce on something, that means you miss it. And I just simply don't miss alcohol. Um, And I think that's one of the biggest keys to staying sober is to not miss alcohol. Um, You have to want it. You have to not want to live that life anymore. Um, There was a story I heard in a podcast once about um, the dog that was just not uncomfortable enough to move. And this guy came over and, and the dog would let out a yelp every so often. And he finally asked the owner, like, what's wrong with your dog? Why does he keep randomly yelping? And the owner said that there's a, you know, there's a rusty nail sticking out and it's just, it's his favorite spot. It's where the sun is all day. And, um, he, it's not uncomfortable enough to move. So it, you know, if it's only poking you ever so often, it's not going to bother you. But to where we were in our drinking career, cause it was a 12 year long stint for me, um, it was enough. Enough was enough for me and for him. Thank God. And we have never looked back. Um, we now look at sobriety as a superpower and what we've achieved in what we achieved in three years, but what we've achieved in five years is, um, is mind blowing. It's absolutely mind blowing what we've achieved from really just stopping doing the things that were hurting us. Not even like, no offense, Chris, he didn't do all the shit I've been doing for the past five years. I've been on like a self-healing journey to the depths of my soul. Meanwhile, he was, you know, no, we'll get to this. His journey will be another story. And like I said, no judgment. Um, and I, for the record, I encouraged him to use antidepressants and anti-anxiety medicine because he could not, he physically could not handle his emotions. And I don't know how to handle your emotions for you. So there's the band-aid until we can further figure something out. Um, I now know that that should have been no more than three months that he was on that stuff and he was on him for four years. Um, so bless his heart, he had to get sober twice and it was really rough that second time. I would... I wouldn't say it was worse than the than quitting alcohol because he would have pretty bad withdrawals back then. But um, the Valium withdrawals were really bad, and that's that's his story to tell, and I can't wait for him to tell it. Um, but from my perspective, um, it was frustrating to watch someone, even I mean, even in the five years that he or four years that he was still on the um, medication, he achieved a shit ton of more shit than he did in the past. 12 years and the year, you know, a few years before that. So, um, even the act of just stopping putting the shit in your body is life changing, much less everything else I want to teach you. Um, all the shit I want to teach you is, is about healing your inner child and reparenting yourself and giving yourself the validation. So you stop seeking it from narcissistic life sucking people, um, that don't want anything to do with you and that actually don't like you. Um, it's really sad that that's, that was normal to me for a very long time because that was the household I was raised in. Um, sorry, dad, but he has some seriously toxic traits and narcissism 
uh, his scale of narcissism is pretty heavy. Um, I think we all are on that scale. I think I have um, definitely some narcissistic traits, and I know that from doing lots of shadow work. Um, so it's it's no judgment. I'm there too. I just am consciously choosing not to bleed on the people I love and um, limiting exposure to people that intentionally hurt me or that are not working on that stuff. Um, you can't heal in the same environment you were wounded. So I'll just leave that there. Um, okay. So January 6th, I got sober. Chris's anniversary is January 5th. Mine's January 6th. I quit drinking. I started working out on my own at the gym. Um, most of the time Chris and I were fighting because he was pissed about having to be sober and, um, pissed about me, being pissed at him. I don't know who the hell knows what he was pissed at. Um, but I lost, I, I was sober for three months and then, um, got on a medication for insulin resistance. I had already been on medication for, for thyroid stuff for the, um, three months before that. And then finally got on something for insulin resistance. And that's when my body, it was like someone flipped a switch in my body and the lights turned on. And I was like, oh my gosh, this was, it was like the final piece of the puzzle just floated and clicked into place. And it was um, homeostasis in my body. And it was incredible. And it took all of these pieces of my puzzle um, to figure all of this stuff out. It took sobriety. It took thyroid medication. It took insulin resistance medication. Um, and it took really, really hard work in the gym, um, for all of this to create homeostasis, which then created a baby. And that's how we got pregnant with Tatum. And, um, the life that we were starting to plan before kids of traveling and this, that, and the other suddenly got put on hold and, um, we got thrust into parenthood and it is, it's been, um, you know, God gives you everything that you need. He knew that we, if we were going to be sober, we were going to need to be distracted and your kids. I don't know how people drink with kids. To be perfectly honest, I would fall asleep after one sip of wine. Um, it's exhausting. It's the most rewarding thing I've ever done in my life. And I am so grateful to do it with the love of my life. Um, so this was my sober story. I hope I didn't bore you to death. Um, I can't wait to have some guests on the show. I don't plan on having this podcast be all about sobriety. I just feel the need to tell our sober stories, um, to kind of kick us off to start the failure conversations. Um, we failed a lot in, in, addiction. Um, I didn't pay my taxes for a few years cause I didn't know how I was supposed to come up with that money. I didn't have the self-control to save the money. I didn't have the knowledge. Um, I didn't have any of the shit that I have now. <laughs> That'll be my hairstylist guide to going to booth rent. Um, one day all of this stuff will be done. I have, I promise you, even if I haven't been vocal about all my projects, um, I am working tirelessly on each project at a time and I can't, you know, <laughs> my creativity is like a wild horse. It's a wild stallion. There's no wrangling it in. I can, I have to go with whatever my brain wants to go with. Um, and I, since leaning into this organic way of living, um, organic creativity, I have become way more productive. Um, and I'm, I'm getting there. I'm slowly but surely chipping away at some of these goals. Um, I wanted this podcast up and running a year ago, but, um, with some life changing events and a lot of ego work and shadow work, um, I've made some changes in my life and I've shaken up some stuff and I was honestly not in a mental space, um, to record for the past six months, but I'm back baby. And my mental health is rocking. And I'm here to tell you what I fucking figured out in the past six months, because it was not going to lie. It was some dark times within sobriety. 
Oh, so um, one day we're going to have some guests and we're going to talk some shit and we're going to talk about entrepreneurship and we're going to talk about goals and yoga and breath work and, you know, all of the things that make us wholehearted people like Brene Brown encourages us to be. Um, first of all, she's my role model and so is the holistic psychologist and Gary V and Tony Robbins and I have a... Um, a star-studded celebrity list that I aspire to one day. I mean, this could be 10 years from now, but you never know. A girl can dream. Um, That's the beauty of sobriety is that I'm finally dreaming again. And um, I shut those dreams down a long time ago because I was in survival mode and um, I didn't know how to dream anymore. All I could do was get through the day. All I could do was get through the the pain of living in a body that was deteriorating rapidly and aging rapidly and um yeah survival mode sucks and i i i hope to help anybody get out of it because it's a vicious vicious place um yeah so stay tuned and thanks for listening to sobriety after dark